0: All right, I got to hit the right buttons for this thing to work. Man. Oh, well. Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, This is Amateur Radio Roundtable, and we're coming to you from Carrierville, Tennessee, just outside of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, We want to say hello to uh, all you guys out there that might be listening on International Shortwave on WBCQ on 7490. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Let us know where in the world you are and how you're hearing the station. Again, we're relatively slow, uh, low power, kind of low power, about 50,000 watts, I think, coming to you from uh, Monticello, Maine. Yeah, Monticello, Maine. So uh, let us know, uh, you know, how, you, how you're how picking up the show and say hello to us here. Uh, also, just would like to invite you, if you are listening on shortwave and you found us on shortwave, you're listening on Thursday between 5 and 7 p.m. Eastern Time, but uh Our show is really live. Actually, it's live on Tuesdays at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. And you can go to w5kub.com. w5kub.com. And uh, you can watch the show. We have our own chat room. You can chat with us uh, directly there. I forgot to mention our email address a minute ago uh, for you listeners out there. The uh, email address is just simply tom at... W5KUB.com. Tom at W5KUB.com. Shoot us us an email. Let us know uh, how you are there. Hey, you know, we got snow down here. It snowed. We got six inches of snow. The temperature is six degrees right now. But here's a picture of uh, one of the antennas up there at WBCQ. This is is probably the largest rotating shortwave antenna in North America right here. And you can see it there. This was built uh, a couple years ago. But anyway, you can see the, how, the, how it is up there. They, they usually always have snow up there, too. Um, if you want to listen to us on just an audio podcast, we're on everything from iNet Radio to iTunes to uh, Google Play. You name it, we're there. Just do a search for, for uh, W5KUB or Amateur Radio Podcast, and, and you'll, uh, you'll find us there. Uh, join our Facebook group. Uh, our Facebook group uh, has about 14,000 hams in it. Would love to have you. Uh, it, just search for, go to Facebook and just search for W5KUB. That's the shortest way. Or if you want to type the long name in here, you can type in Amateur Radio Roundtable. But I would suggest just typing in, typing in W5KUB and, and join, a, join our Facebook group of 14,000 uh, people there. Uh, let's see. Did I remind anybody here to help us out right now? We need you to subscribe, if you will. Please subscribe to our, our YouTube. And let me see if I can help you there. Yeah, there. Hey, I, you should be able to see that. I'm, help, I'm pointing you in a general direction there where you can uh, hit that subscribe button down there. Hit the subscribe button, the like button, and the uh, notify button. That'll let you know when we, uh, we come on with something new there during the week. All right, a uh, couple of things going on tonight. Man, first of all, first of all, winter storm across the U.S. We'll talk a little about that in a few minutes. Uh, but um, we've got uh, a great guest on tonight. We've got uh, Gary McKeaton, uh, AB8A with us with hamsci.org. And he's going to talk about ham radio and the eclipse and how all that plays together and and uh, what we can do is hams to uh, help collect data and uh, uh, make things you know i guess make things better or at least understand them there uh hey i've got a video at uh, uh, the last half of the show, i've got a video i did on the spectrum analyzer tonight that's going to show different uh different types of um coax and we measure we measure the leakage through the shield of each of the different types and the reason I'm doing that is because I need some connector jumpers to go between the duplexer and the radios of the GMRS uh, repeater that I'm building for some people. So I uh, wanted the best non-leaky cables there. And It's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. I think you'll you'll enjoy that. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, we talked about this T last week. You know, on the duplexer, we talked about this T and how it's placed and you know um you know in a duplexer in a duplexer they've got this t if you look right there you see how that t is turned there in the center it just doesn't look right does it but that's the way Motorola says that t needs to be to go in there. and we were all wondering does it really make a difference well i can tell you it does make a difference so we'll talk about it in a minute it does make a difference and I can tell you by about, about how much as measured on the spectrum analyzer and also why it makes a difference. I get it all figured out. Yeah, I got it all figured out. Okay, hey, let's let's go around the room here real quick and say hello to everybody. First of all, let's jump in here. Well, Glenn's Glenn's up there first, it looks like. Glenn, how you doing down there in Mississippi, man?
1: Well, you got more snow than us. We only got like four, four and a half inches thereabouts. Uh, yeah. power hasn't blinked yet but you get all those warnings and whatnot from the gas company and the power company saying please you know cut back or else and i've gotten a couple of those uh today and tonight but uh so far i still have power but if i vanish you know what they did to me um but uh we're we're getting there um i got a piece of interesting news this week um heard from the folks at Dayton. Now I am doing a uh, a forum at Orlando on Friday at 2.15, but uh, Dayton contacted me this week and I will also be doing a forum at Dayton this year. I don't have a date or a time yet, but uh, so we're going to be doing the uh, new Arduino forum uh, or microcontroller forum actually there at Dayton this year. So we're going to be putting that together, but Outside of that, we're just trying to stay warm and you know <laughs> keep rolling.
0: Well, all right man hey oh uh, I'm glad you uh, heard from them and I'm glad you're doing a, a forum up here we uh, actually did a forum up there uh, a couple years and uh we uh we attended we attended for thirty nine straight years and finally just decided uh, not to make that thousand mile round trip again and uh, it was a lot of work for us to do our webcast and everything so we're not going to go back again this year, but uh, you're going to go and you'll represent us, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll very, have to well.
1: bring, you know, fire up the camera and get some shots. Have I to, think uh, you're going to get it. Mark to do a live thing for you like he did last year.
0: Yeah, you'll you'll have to do it. And I don't even know if we'll do a remote live deal or not. I think we may just, you know, I may just sleep late that day. I don't know.
1: Well, then I'll just, you know, walk yeah. around with a camera.
0: Okay, All, right. All right. That's good. All right let's go to uh, hey let's let's check in with jim there jim uh glad to see you tonight glad you made it uh we we know you're 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 having your uh your medical treatments there and you, you know it makes you sleep and man i just i didn't think you'd be with us tonight, but you're looking pretty good jim how you doing
2: doing okay uh, glad to be here and um one of the uh, i i'm taking Twenty-five different pills a day, oh, wow. and but the most important pill I take is to come in here and get on the air or meet with my friends like here. So uh, that takes my mind away from that. Sorry about that. Gary's uh, going to talk to us in a few minutes about some interesting stuff. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that, and um it gets me rejuvenated. I feel better now. Uh, there's a limit to how long I I can participate, but um ham radio for me has been a blessing it really has because i i have to stay isolated uh because of the chemotherapy but uh because my white count is very low but i can get on the air and talk to my friends so well, it's great. a really neat thing
0: they, you know when you when you're doing something you feel good about and you like it 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 helps you so we're, we're so glad you have this as a hobby and we're glad you're yeah. uh with us here
2: i i and, do and, bring and, it up uh yep. during the times i'm uh, getting the chemo and and I made a comment to somebody today because you have to sit in a recliner for an hour or two as yeah. they I've got I've got ports in my arm going to my heart but that's not the important thing is I'll mention ham radio and about half the time they look at me like uh, what what does that what mean that? I could say well I mean amateur radio they still haven't got a clue
0: yeah right So right. Yeah. yeah well look um, hey if you happen to fall asleep tonight no problem. <laughs> It'll be okay. Uh, Gary probably doesn't realize this, but Glenn fell asleep on a show one night, and we were about to call nine one one. We couldn't wake him up, and he was remote there. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, uh, hey, if you need to take a nap, you go ahead and take a nap, man. You know, it's okay. okay. It's okay with yeah. us. All right. Uh, I,
2: uh, all right. Thank
3: you very much.
0: Yeah. Hey, hey, Brett. Wh- what's happening up in now? Oh, man, I can't. Where are you? You up in Montana somewhere?
3: Uh, we're in Wyoming. Wyoming. And,
0: well, you know what? I'm I'm I mix up Montana and Wyoming all the time. I don't know why I do that. I
3: don't know why. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm about an hour south of, yeah, uh, of where Katie, yeah. Katie and Dwayne Allen live. And yeah. uh, well, we had uh, we we had uh, temperatures minus between minus twenty and minus twenty five last night. Uh, wind chills of minus fifty and uh we were just trying to stay warm most of uh mo- most of our equipment stayed up i had one thing i had to fix i just had to give it some extra juice so it could heat itself um we're just trying to survive i had one set of frozen pipes to unfreeze and i took the took the heat gun out of the shack and went and did that um so we're doing okay it's uh in a polar vortex it's starting to be a regular event now
0: yeah okay man i i'm hey it was it was five degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know what the chill was here. I, I, it was probably below zero, but uh, nothing like what you guys got up there. Oh man! Oh, wow. oh man! That's terrible. Uh,
3: yeah, but on the other hand, that's te- in Tennessee. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty cold.
0: Well, let me let me say this. I, I'm, a, I'm. I'll talk about this for thirty seconds. When I was in the Air Force, I went to a. a arctic survival school they put me in an arctic survival school for two weeks and uh, i think the chill factor was probably minus 20 minus 25 and uh, they dumped us out in this place and and uh, we actually we 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 had some parachutes and we we set up a parachute under a tree limb for our tent and uh unfortunately we picked a dead limb and it fell in on us a little later uh, I spent two days in a in a hole dug in the ground, but uh, you know I was young then; I was in my twenties, and I don't feel like I don't remember ever getting cold, man. And it was like, tw- tw- you know, twenty below. I don't remember getting cold. Now I get cold all the time, man. Yeah.
3: So, well, we go out when I, when I go out in this weather. I'm wearing thermal underwear and then a then a tracksuit on top of that and then ski bibs on top of that and then a parka on top of that and now i don't get cold uh yeah a little hard to move sometimes but uh you can stay warm
0: well th- that was kind of the way i was dressed out there for two weeks and uh um, it was, uh, it was interesting, uh, it, it was interesting, I, I kind of enjoyed it, uh, uh, my tenth day, uh, I had this terrible nosebleed, it wouldn't ever stop, you know, and they took me to a, an army doctor, and, uh, he said, what are they doing to you guys out there, and he said, I, I can send you home, man, I said, no, don't, don't send me home, I, I got only, I only have four more days left, and, you know, if you send me home, I'll have to go through this again, so, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, man. All right, all right. Hey, uh, let's let's jump over to uh, Gary McKeaton, uh, AB8A. And Gary, how you doing tonight, man?
4: Good evening, everyone. Glad to be with you. Glad to be part of the show. Uh, doing fine. I'm in uh, Northeast Ohio, and a little bit east of Cleveland, in uh, what's known as the Snow Belt. But we've got maybe oh, about a half inch of snow so far in 2024. So we're actually doing pretty well.
0: Yeah, the the uh, the snow that came through here looked like it just went under you guys uh, this past couple of days here. Woo. But you guys get a lot worse than we do up here. Uh, hey, there was a a comment in the chat room about your call. It looked like ABBA, A B B A, and they wanted to know if you were a fan of ABBA.
4: <laughs> no, actually, it's uh, Alpha Foxtrot Eight Alpha. Did I get that wrong? So, Did I screw that yeah. up?
0: Man. I think I messed that up. Why did I do that? Well,
4: I, now you know why I usually operate CW. It's, it's a oh, CW man. call sign. So.
0: Oh, I am so sorry. Oh, man. That's embarrassing. Oh, well. Whew, I've done a lot of other worst things, I guess. So, any, anyway, hey. <sighs> let's just uh, let's jump right into uh, what you're here for tonight, uh, Gary. and. Why don't you give us a little background about uh, about what you're going to talk about, and um, you know what it's going to do for us, and give us a little background about yourself if you want to. You've been a ham for a long time.
4: Sure have. Uh, it's been uh, since 1977 when I got my novice ticket. Uh, like a lot of people in that era, I was I was a freshman in high school, got my novice ticket, and went up through general. Advanced and so on and so forth. Got my extra uh, late in 1978, and that's when I got this call sign. It was randomly assigned by the FCC. So I've been continuously active ever since then. Uh, not, not a, uh, not a well-known contest or a DX or anything like that. Just somebody like to plow the bands and uh, have a few rag chews and, and and make some contest QSOs now and then. Um, career-wise, uh, amateur radio led me to a degree in electrical engineering from Case Western Reserve here in Cleveland. And then I spent 34 years uh, working as an engineer, working for the world's largest manufacturer of arc welding equipment. And uh, was very fortunate six years ago to take early retirement. So now I can call myself a, a full-time ham and, uh, and do right. this sort of thing. Well, that's, uh, that's uh, cool. Uh, I think, uh,
0: I. I I think my ham radio at age 16, 60 years ago, actually helped me determine my career, you know, as as uh, it developed. So, yeah, a lot of people, that happens to a lot of people. Ham radio is responsible for how you turn out.
1: You yeah, know? that That's definitely what... did it for me. I got mine at
3: 15.
0: Yeah. So, you know... Yeah.
3: Yes, I I did that as well. I got involved. I got my novice ticket as a result of, uh, of of being in the Boy Scouts and learning Morse code, and then I went to Case as well. And I'm hmm. glad to see that they're still doing ham size stuff there. I recently visited their station at the top of the, uh, the top of top of the Glennon building on campus, and um, it's uh, well, they're 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 doing a lot there still with ham radio.
0: Well, That's great, I guess Brett.
3: glad to hear that.
0: Yeah, I guess once once you're a geek, you're always a geek, though, right? I guess we're geeks, maybe. Something like that. I don't know. Well, hey, tell us about Ham SCI. And I've got your website pulled up here. Uh, let's just let's tell everybody about your website here. And um, let's see. Well, I th- thought I had it pulled up here. I'm sure I got it pulled up. Yeah, there it is. And uh, so people can go to it maybe while you're talking there if you want to. But this is your website there at hamSCI.org. And uh, this is actually focusing again on the eclipser. So go ahead, Gary, just pick it up and uh, I'll quit interrupting and uh, tell us all about it. I'm sure questions will come.
4: No problem, Tom. Can I, uh, can I share my screen? I've got a little you, presentation with some, yes. some nice graphics. I think people appreciate Okay. Let yes. me hit the share screen button do yeah, uh, the me, best here. Oh
0: boy, what in the world did I just do? Let me see some security. I need to go to security, share screen. There we go. That should allow you now to, to share your screen.
4: Okay, how's that looking?
0: Pretty good, and I can resize it here to make it uh, fit better. So just let me uh, let me resize it here, and we'll get you going here. Um, I got to hit the right button. There we go, and there we go. And I'll move you guys off the screen here a little bit. Um, I was hoping it, I can't get you all the way off the screen. Does that help? Yeah, I, th- it, it, I think, well, I, I've got one little, let me see if this does it. Well, that'll help, I guess. There we go. I got it out of the way. We're seeing everything now.
4: All right, great. Well, let me uh, we talk about tonight's talk. What I want to bring up a little bit is uh, what we call the HAMSAI Festivals of Eclipse on Aspheric Science. And what we're doing is uh, basically we're recruiting HAM radio operators to participate in uh, in events on Eclipse Day. But not just Eclipse Day, there's things people can be doing 24-7, 365 days a year. I'll also talk a little bit about the history of HAMSAI, our background, and, and why we're doing that. So let's get into it. So, Ham is, is is a is what we call a collective. It's not a it's not a company. It's not a nonprofit. Uh, it's not even a club. Uh, it, we're we're a loosely knit, uh, yet reasonably well organized group of uh, radio and space physics enthusiasts. Some are actually most of us are volunteers. Uh, some are professionals. You know, they're 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 researchers, uh, university professors, and the like. So it's it's quite a quite a, a uh, an interesting uh, an interesting menagerie of, of, of people that are interested in uh, in radio and science. Um, ham side has a couple different objectives. Um, number one is advancing scientific research and understanding through ham radio activities, um, you know, a lot of research is going on in the world in, in, in thousands or millions of different subjects, but not that many of them involve what we call citizen scientists. The average person from, from the average walk of life can join in and do stuff with HAMSci. And that's that's the crux of citizen science. Um, part of what we do is also encourage the development of new technologies to support our research and things that we want to accomplish. But it's, it's, it's a two way street. It's not just HAMS giving to the research community so that we can all learn things, but it's also the research community coming back to HAMS and teaching us and give us the opportunities to learn about things like propagation, the ionosphere, and and space physics. So what we primarily want to talk about are the solar eclipses, especially the total eclipse that's coming up on April 8th, 2024. That's going to be transiting across North America. Um, you know, eclipses have been around, you know, they're, they're, they're part of space, right? They've been around forever, and and humankind's already always been fascinated by eclipses. Um, but you know, years ago, thousands of years ago, there was a lot of fear and ignorance that led to a lot of very, what we today think are pretty crazy theories about why eclipses came about. I mean, if you go way back and if you can imagine if you're one of the ancients, you know, maybe in, in ancient China, uh, back in BC or something like that, and you're sitting there one day and all of a sudden the sun starts to go away. There's big black blobs coming across the sun and it looks like the sun's going away and you. It, and as people do, they want to explain things. Even if they don't really know what's happening, they try to explain them. Well, they use the fables and stories of their time to try and explain it. And uh, one of their one of their popular theories was that there was a dragon running across the sky, trying to chase the sun. And occasionally, that dragon would catch it and eat it, and uh, we would have to wait for the sun to regenerate. Sounds kind of strange, but that's uh, not just the Chinese. A lot of ancient peoples had uh, similar stories where they were dragons or wolves and that sort of thing. Uh, But we know a little bit better than that nowadays. But even if you go back a few centuries, uh, before before the scientific method was invented and whatnot, ancient rulers and and people in power depended on astrologers to predict things like eclipses. Uh, Now, the astrologers weren't that good at what they did, but they took a lot of risk. Uh, apparently, the story is if you were, uh, you know, uh, an ancient king and your astrologer predicted an eclipse and you missed, um, unfortunately, the, uh, the penalty sometimes could be death. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a high stakes game for those guys. But luckily, in modern times today, of course, we can predict when eclipses are going to occur. They're very accurate. We don't have to worry about anybody losing their life. But the nice thing is these accurate predictions allow us to plan studies of eclipse related activities and stuff years in advance. And that's what we've done uh, for this, uh, for last year and this year. Of course, we had an, what's called an annual eclipse last October. And all the activities I'm talking about today took place in October. But really, they were kind of a test bed and a dry run for what we call the big event, uh, the total eclipse that's uh, coming along in April. Um, it's a big event because eclipses don't happen very often. The next time the continental United States are going to be able to view a total eclipse will be out into the 2040s well over 20 years from now. So that's why we want to get as prepared as we can to study them now and do our best. So eclipses, uh, if people, there's a lot of information you can go out and find on the web to understand what's going on. But basically, it's pretty simple. The moon gets between the sun and certain parts of the earth and casts its shadow. Um, it, it's it's that's, that's really all there is to it is the moon's blocking the sun and we're getting a shadow. Now the uh, The interesting thing is, you know, it depends on the position of the moon relative to the earth and the sun as how much of a shadow it casts. Uh, Last fall, the moon was pretty far away from the earth. Uh, Of course, because the moon's orbit around the earth is not circular, it's more egg-shaped. The moon was far away, so it casts an incomplete shadow. That's why we had an annual eclipse, or sometimes it's called a ring of fire eclipse. In April, the moon's going to be much closer to the earth, so it's going to create a total eclipse. And that's what uh, people are most excited about and cranked up about. There's going to be millions of people on the road trying to follow that eclipse and be uh, directly in the path to totality. So from Hamside's perspective, uh, what are we doing with the eclipse as well? As I said, there was one last October, and uh, I'll talk about some of the observations that we've been able to make based on what happened in October. But we're really uh, here tonight to encourage everyone to join us for the 2024 eclipse and I'll talk about some of the events and uh, what they'll be all about. So one of the things that we, we spend a lot of time in size studying and talking about is the ionosphere. And I think most hams are aware of what the ionosphere does and how it helps long distance communications occur. Signals leave an antenna on Earth. They head up toward maybe 80 or 100 or 200 kilometers above our heads. They get refracted back to the Earth at a, at a, at, a, at some distance. And that enables DX communications. Um, the thing that we have to realize and, and is the ionosphere is constantly changing. As, as points in the earth change from night to day and then change back to night, the ionosphere has these layers. And these layers form up and they dissolve on a, a, on a daily basis. And this is kind of a nice view of how at night we typically see two layers in the ionosphere. And during the day, those two layers split into four. And uh, and that sort of thing. So this it's this transition from day to night, which we find particularly interesting, because that's what an eclipse is going to simulate, and I'll talk about that in, in detail. So you know, before an eclipse goes overhead, the average day is, you'll pick somebody say in Texas in April, uh, it's going to be daytime, and then propagation in the atmosphere is going to act pretty much hopefully like any other day. But as the eclipse passes overhead, you know, we're going to as humans, we're going to be looking around on the ground, we're going to see it get dark. Apparently the birds and a lot of other animals will get confused, they'll think it's nighttime, they'll start chirping and making noise and that sort of thing. But what really happens from an ionospheric point of view, when that moon gets between the sun and the earth, the moon is blocking the solar radiation from reaching the ionosphere. And that's briefly going to cause the ionosphere to act and react as if it were night. So what we would expect is the ionosphere's reaction to be similar to the normal 24-hour day-night cycle, right? Because you go day, night, day, night. But there's a little, there's a few differences on eclipse day, which are important. The eclipse, so-called, you know, short-term nighttime is a is a much shorter duration than normal nighttime. You know, the a Totality of the eclipse, especially in, in some locations, like here in Cleveland, is going to only last four minutes. It's a very, very quick transition. Uh, the nighttime area is very localized. There's a there's a narrow eclipse path. And it's caused by something, the moon, which is really traveling at supersonic speed. So it's quite different than the normal uh, rotation of the Earth. The other thing is eclipses occur uh, over spots. And the eclipse motion is quite different than the normal motion of the sun. We all know the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, eclipses can go in that same direction, they can go in the opposite direction, perpendicular, so on and so forth. So um, it allows us to set up experiments in different parts of the country and get total different readings and impacts from the eclipse. The thing that the physics and the science folks like to call this is kind of a controlled experiment, because we know it's going to happen ahead of time. Um, we, we, we think it's going to happen so quickly. Chances are good that we won't be affected by a, a solar flare or coronal mass ejection or some other thing that the sun may spew off uh, because it's so active in cycle 25. So we've got a nice short window. We hope to get some nice clean data and some observations. And then from there, be able to work on some theories. So what we're asking HAMS to participate in all these events, and we're calling these events, uh, as Tom showed at the beginning on our website, the Hamsight Festivals of Eclipse Ionospheric Science. Now, I've talked about the path of the eclipse, so let me show this, this little video here. I'll show this a couple of times, and you'll see the eclipse start over here in the Pacific Ocean and then move across the continental United States. So here goes. And there it goes off the coast of Maine and actually through the Maritimes in Canada. So I'm going to show this again and notice how wide the path is. It's a pretty, this dark area is going to cover a significant portion of a number of different states and I'm going to stop it right there. The reason is these calculations, this light and darkness calculations were done for a height above Earth of about 300 kilometers. So, this is not what any of us would see standing on Earth, but this is what the ionosphere is going to feel, what the impact is going to be 300 kilometers above our head. So, kudos to the science guys that figure this kind of stuff out, do these kind of calculations, and then can make these uh, interesting uh, animations for us. Okay. So, our festivals of eclipse ionospheric science, we've got a A number of different events, I'm not going to cover them all in detail, it would take quite a while, but I do want to highlight a couple of them. There's a couple of operating events on the air, there's a couple of uh, hardware-oriented activities for the people that like to build things and poke around in software, and uh, some folks that uh, just like to monitor and listen, we've got some events for them too. Um, We've also got some uh, more uh, scientific nature going on. So anyhow, the first thing I'd like to talk about is the solar eclipse QSO party. Um, For those that are involved with contesting, they'll be familiar that a QSO party is simply a a specific time that's set aside, where basically a lot of people get on the air and make quick contacts. Uh, For the HAMSI SEQP, we're asking people to get on the air for a 10 hour period, uh, as much of that 10 hours they can get on, whether it's a short time or the full 10 hours, and basically make short QSOs, exchanging signal reports and grid squares, pretty straightforward. You enter that stuff in a log, At the end of the contest, when you're done, send the log into to us. Um, What I like to call this, I say it's ham radio's version of a cocktail party, except our cocktail party is held in a really, really big room, potentially the entire earth, where our radio signals are bouncing around. Um, We're not particular about which modes people use. If you're a CW, a sideband, or an FT4, FT8 op, all those kinds of QSOs are welcome during the QSO party. And we've uh, had some of the uh, software developers, such as the N1MM Group, uh, straighten up their software and so they can directly support the SEQP for logging and then log submission purposes. The nice thing about this whole thing, the logs and, and the spot data you know, from the CW skimmers and, and other spotting networks will contribute directly to the scientific research in the ionosphere. And if you're curious, this isn't the first time we've done this. Uh, it was first done in 2017, and if you want to learn a little bit more about what happened back then, you can go to our hamsite.org website. There's a search function, search on 2017 eclipse, and you can see some of the rather uh, interesting results from that year. So, of course, our website has a full set of rules for the QSO party and FAQs and all that sort of stuff, so no need to go into those details here. The other uh, kind of unusual event is something that we, we cooked up. It, it's, a, it's a contest for one-way signal. Um, some of your uh, viewers and listeners may be familiar with a mode called whisper, the weak signal propagation reporter, or it's a much improved kind of cousin, it's called FST4W. These are modes that are commonly used for propagation studies. Um, whisper transmitters will send out a two minutes long call And they'll pause for two minutes and then repeat. But the cool thing about that is, yeah, I may be sending out a whisper signal, but there may be 25 or 30 other stations who are receiving my whisper signal and sending a reception report off to a standard database called WhisperNet. And it's recording all those reception reports. So if you think of a few hundred people around the U.S. transmitting every two minutes, and for each one of those people, there could be 5, 10, 20, maybe 50 receiving stations, all spread across the U.S. or really the whole world. And all that data flowing into a database. Um, At the end of a 10-hour contest, we can literally have millions of data points generated by all this activity. So whisper is something fun to look into. It's not a real complicated thing to get into. Uh, the photo on my screen is a Raspberry Pi and a little what's called a Pi Hat. It came from Tapper, the Tucson Amateur Packet Radio Organization, and this thing is pretty easy to build, put together. Uh, You don't need much of a power supply to run. it. It's a 200 milliwatt transmitter and a pretty simple antenna. Uh, Whisper can also be run if you're uh, on a regular transceiver. It's one of the the so-called sound card modes. It's part of the WSJT software suite, and uh, there's places you can learn uh, quite a bit more about Whisper Whisper.live or whisperdemon.org. And uh, this 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 whole contest, this activity has been we've renamed it the Gladstone Signal Spotting Challenge. And again, we've got a full set of rules. And actually, the results from October of 2023 are now up on the Hansai website, and uh, uh, under the uh, under the under the results tab. So, uh, you can see how folks did. And uh, I think at the time last year, we counted there were about 700 spots or reception reports recorded uh, by, the part, by, the, uh, by the 68 participants. So there's a, a really nice multiplicative effect there. Uh, I mentioned some hardware projects. Um, I mean, who wouldn't want to have their own personal space weather station, right? And uh, AMSI has developed a thing called a GRAPE personal space weather station. And the reason it's called a GRAPE, because they work best in bunches. Uh, We've got uh, probably 40 or 50 of these grape receivers deployed across the U.S., and what these receivers do is they sit and listen to a single frequency day in and day out. They never get tired. Uh, What they're listening to, most of them, are WWV, the standard frequency and time station out in Colorado. The reason they're doing that is because they're watching for something called Doppler shift, Now, I'm not going to try to go into all the details here. It would take quite a bit of time to explain the whole thing, but basically, in the simplest sense, WWV is transmitting a very accurate signal on 10.0000 megahertz, for instance. But that signal goes up, refracts off the ionosphere, and comes back down to receiver here, uh, where uh, Brett and I went to school at Case Western Reserve University. Um, But what happens is, transversing this path causes a slight shift in the frequency. And what happens is the ionosphere, as I talked about those layers forming and changing from day to night, the ionosphere starts going up and down. So the apparent received frequency changes. And I'll show you some graphs a little bit later on that we can actually tell how much the ionosphere is moving or wiggling around up there based on our frequency measurements due to these grape receivers. So go to hamsideorg grape, uh, learn all about the current version of the grape, uh, the newest version of the grape. There's bills and materials, how to build your own grape, how to get the software and how to run the whole thing all on the Hamside site. Uh, this event is a little more scientific in nature, but we've got uh, around 20 or 25 people we think will be participating. Uh, simply put, uh, we know that if a signal is transmitted, say from Texas, On 40-meter sideband to Oklahoma, many times the signal will take what's called a single hop, and it'll take a certain amount of time to get from Texas to Oklahoma, but sometimes signals split, and they would take what are called two hops, hop number one, and then hop number two, if you can follow my cursor, and what happens is that second signal that took two hops arrives a little bit later in Oklahoma, and the time difference between those arrivals, the time difference of arrival, if you're really sharp about this stuff, as Steve Serwin is the guy who came up with this experiment, they can go back and start doing some calculations so far as what's happening to the layer height, how the ionosphere is moving. Now, it's hard to do this on a daily basis because the ionosphere moves rather slowly most of the time. But during an eclipse, as I said earlier, with the moon moving at supersonic speeds um, in, in just a few hours, Steve and his buddies that are running this experiment can uh, actually get quite a bit of data on uh, one hop versus two hop and go back and uh, come back with some interesting theories about how the, uh, how the ionosphere is reacting. So uh, I talked about a couple of our events and one of the things I want to emphasize is you know, our, our festivals is, is fun. We expect hope people will get on the air and enjoy themselves in any of these different activities. But, I mean, a a reasonable question is what's in it for hands? And there should be some benefit, right? And what we hope will come out of this thing, what will come out of scientific research, is basically an improved understanding of high-frequency propagation. You know, Why do signals go from one part of the Earth to another? uh, And that sort of thing. Uh, We hope to improve the models of the ionosphere. Uh, There are some very smart people out there who have developed mathematical models of the ionosphere. You can plug in... The date, the time, uh, where two stations are located, the solar flux numbers, and you'll get back a number, uh, say 50, and that means you've got a 50% chance of making a QSO between those two points that you plugged in. Uh, We'd like to up those odds, improve those models, so that you can go to one of these propagation forecasts and say you want to work a de-expedition in the Pacific Islands somewhere. Okay, maybe, uh, maybe this, someday the software on the website will be able to tell you that, hey, You've got an 80% chance to do it on 20 meters if you do it between 10 a.m. and noon, and that way you can target your operating. So there's a lot going on there. But uh, one thing I think is also a fair question is, you know, what did we learn from the October eclipse? That was uh, just a few months ago, but uh, there are some things we can talk about. Um, and what we're gonna talk about are what we call observations, uh, things that hams and people in Hamsi and others observed during the eclipse. Uh, what we really can't talk about yet are what do we call findings. You know, people, some of these things I'm going to show you are kind of interesting interesting things we, we saw in, in, in the data, but we can't explain exactly why they happened yet. Uh, that'll happen. It'll happen eventually. But the scientific process of uh, developing theories, testing theories, uh, doing what's called peer review, where you work with other scientists and other experts and you question one another and then present your findings and go back and forth, that sometimes takes years. So we probably won't be releasing any findings for a couple years, but we can sure talk about some observations. So let's take a look. Uh, I I talked about the grape receiver earlier. So this is a plot of uh, some newly developed software that plots what we call this Doppler shift. This is how we, we measure the frequency movement of WWV. And you can see here at nighttime, because this is 020406 UTC, at this particular station uh, near Scranton, PA, the frequency was relatively stable. There's a little burble here that tells us the ionosphere is probably bouncing around. There may have been something that came off the sun. It's hard to say. But this little structure here, these series of bumps, we pretty much see this at dawn every day of the year. And not only at this station, but all the great stations tend to see what we call a dawn chorus, or these dawn effects. So that's, we haven't explained why that happens yet, but we do notice them. But what excited us on this particular day, during last October's eclipse, is the shape here is very similar, not identical, but similar. And that's, as I was saying earlier, that's kind of what we expected, because we're going from day to night to day again during an eclipse just uh, as happens in the normal, normal daylight cycle. So when we see this kind of thing, it it helps us validate that we think our equipment is working correctly, but now the work really begins trying to explain all this stuff. Um, I mentioned that we've got some receiving experiments. Uh, Here's one where a station near Sacramento, California was listening to a broadcast station, KKXA in Snohomish, Washington. And this was the day before the eclipse. This is what we would call a control day. And you can see during this period, which is like 1800 to, uh, I don't know, 22 or 2400 UTC, just part of the day, the broadcast signal went down in strength consistently, and which is what you'd expect. You know, you, we, we mostly hear long distance AM stations at night, right, as the sun comes up, they tend to get weaker and weaker. So this was a pretty normal result. What we saw here on the eclipse day, yeah, we pretty much saw the same thing. We saw a decline, but here, when the eclipse went overhead, quite a bit different. Look at the enhancement in the reception due to the eclipse. So from an AM or medium wave VX's perspective, their signal was in the daytime going down, but when the eclipse passed over and it got dark, it was more like nighttime conditions. We got a bump in our signal. And then after the eclipse left, it went down very rapidly. So uh, you don't have to be a ham. You don't have to have a ham radio license to participate in ham side. There's certainly things you can do even as a listener. to to contribute to the studies. The last one I'll go over is uh, some reception reports uh, using the uh, FST4W propagation mode. Uh, On the left is uh, a graph of received noise signals from uh, the stations on uh, California's West Coast, Point Reyes National Seashore, the old maritime stations, KFS and KPH. And this black arrow here represents the eclipse time look at the increase in noise level during the eclipse. Again, it's kind of a, a reception enhancement, if you will, that we, was similar to what we saw in the medium wave band. Uh, on the right, uh, this was another station where the station was looking at signal levels on received FST4W transmissions. And they were going down, down, down that day. And then the eclipse occurred and you got quite a good bump. So again, these are observations, things that are people are seeing. They're either sending in their data, we're collecting it, and we're going to let the scientists and the PhD candidates and the master's students and universities chew on this stuff and try to explain it in the future. So to kind of sum up a little bit, what we're hoping for is participation. Participation is key. The more hams that can get on the air and listen, the more hams that can transmit and operate during these QSO parties, the better. Um, If this sort of thing interests you or you just want to read a little bit more about it, Uh, You can go to hampside.org slash eclipse. We've got, and when you get to our HAB site, we've got a a large Google group, over a thousand members, and we've got some really sharp people there. Uh, We've got some people who've just joined and are still learning and asking questions, and we're hoping we're answering for them. But uh, if you want, you can pre register for some of these events. That gives us an idea of who's going to operate and from where. Uh, Please operate one of our events, join the TDOA, and do some monitoring, build a great receiver. There's lots of stuff to do. The last couple of things I want to mention is that uh, just to prove that we're not, uh, I'm just not blowing smoke out here. A lot of these uh, scientific research papers have been published uh, on very prestigious, uh, by very prestigious organizations, uh, presented at workshops, websites, and we've had a couple of people earn their doctorate degrees using the information uh, from size research. So, uh, organizations like the American Geophysical Union, Uh, IEEE, the Electronics and Engineers folks, have published our works. And you've also seen things in CQ, QEX, QST, and you'll be seeing more in those publications very, very soon, before the April eclipse. Uh, Lastly, I do want to acknowledge, uh, as I said, Hansai is not a corporation. We're not a company. We don't sell anything. We don't raise any money. But we do uh, have requirements for funding, and we are very generously funded by the National Science Foundation, NASA and uh, amateur radio digital communication. So I want to say thank you on behalf of all of HAMSIGHT to the US taxpayers and to these other organizations for supporting us. Also, there's a lot of uh, open source software and other types of things we make use of, and that's all very, very valuable. So that's good. So I will uh, turn off the screen share, and we'll see if, uh, see if we got some questions out there.
0: All right. Well, uh, yeah, there was one question. Is this uh, presentation available for anyone that maybe would like to see it later, download it or anything? Um,
4: that's a good point. We've, uh, we've put this together uh, for this purpose, for podcasts and clubs and that sort of thing. And uh, let me think about that. We're, we're, we're trying to build a club activities page, and that may uh-huh. be the place to put it because okay. uh, after a club's had a meeting or something like that, they, they can go there. So let me, let me give that a little bit more
0: thought. Okay, just let us know, and we can make an announcement here. Uh, also, uh, someone was hoping that you would be doing a forum at Dayton uh, on this, but I, I do see that you're going to be doing a forum at Hamcation in Orlando on this on Friday.
4: It sounds like I'm going to be right behind Glenn. I heard you say, no, Glenn, you're going to be, be ahead of fifteen. Yeah, I'm going to be at 1 o'clock. Yeah, uh, and yeah. we will be at Dayton as well. We usually have a booth, and we've uh, we have a, a number of different forums on different subjects at
1: Dayton for sure. Yeah, I may have to slip over into there before I do mine.
0: All You're right. welcome. All right. Any other questions <clears throat> in the chat room here? Um, you know, uh, the uh, this eclipse on the what is it? The eighth or the sixth of April? I forget. The eighth. The eighth. The eighth. Uh, it's going to come right through near here southeast arkansas across through little rock and up through northeast arkansas that's only uh, two hours for me and uh, we're thinking about driving over there the problem i'm worried about is uh, all the people that are going to go there Uh, brett can tell us that in his state the uh, population doubled during his last uh, eclipse and i hear that gas stations run out of gas uh uh, fast food places run out of food and uh the interstates are so clogged up you can't travel uh do you know anything about that
4: Uh, i i i heard the same reports i know in cleveland area most of the schools are staying closed for that day because they figure the school buses and parents won't be able to get their kids to and from so uh there's 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 one subset of the population that's pretty happy about the eclipse too
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, uh, Brett, do you have anything to add to that? Was it was it pure mayhem?
3: Oh, yeah, we, we took the back roads because the interstates were, were gridlocked. Um, uh, this time we're not going to get totality, but I wonder if we're going to get the equivalent of gray line propagation when the eclipse comes nearby, but not overhead.
4: You probably will, because again, the the, the, the sun is illuminating the the top of the ionosphere and and, and the. The scale of that is so much larger than what we as humans think about on Earth uh, that the impact will be will be very, very broad, much, much broader than the path of totality by far.
0: Yeah, uh, Bill, Bill in the chat room says, go to the eclipse zone two days prior and stay for a couple of days. You know, I checked on hotels in Arkansas. I mean, we're talking this thing's going to be in April. I checked three months ago. Every hotel in Arkansas is booked, and they want $400 a night. <laughs> Man, you just can't even get a hotel. Oh man! So I don't know. I mean, I you know it it would be an if hey if the interstate wasn't uh, clogged up, it would be an easy drive for me. You know, two hours over. You know, leave at eight o'clock in the morning, watch the eclipse at noon, drive back home. I could be home at five o'clock. But boy, if the interstate's not usable, that might be difficult.
2: I, I have a couple of questions.
0: Yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, it was, Gary, it's really interesting. Um, and by the way, I was not familiar with a call sign that you gave, KE6EE. Uh, I'm in the Sacramento area. He's about ten mi- less than 10 miles away uh, to this, looked on a map, to the south. Uh, on what bands should we be monitoring during the eclipse? What uh, it's not going to affect six meters, I guess. I I, I don't know. So, uh, is six meters affected? How about forty during the daytime? That kind of thing. What What goes on in the various bands in terms of uh, affecting uh, F one and F two, etc.
4: Well, the uh, two comments to that one is we we would like people to operate their favorite bands and frequencies. So uh, the events we've set up. Uh, like the QSO party is on six through 160 meters. Because, um, you know, if you try to narrow things down and direct people in certain, well, I don't have an antenna for this. I don't have an, whatever. So get on and whatever your favorite bands are. And to your point, we, we may not expect things to happen on six meters, but what if they do? So it would be better to have some people on six and, and turn in their results, uh, make some QSOs and that sort of thing. And we might learn something unexpected. Uh, we don't want to uh, close our minds to the possibilities, I guess.
2: What are uh, one more question, Tom? If there's time, mm-hmm. what, what are the what are the superstitions that the public has about an eclipse today? What because looking behind your head where it goes to totality, and and uh, you know it's for some folks is it is it a scary thing or what? What's the reaction some people have if they're in an area where there is totality, what, what happens?
4: I, uh, that's a good point. I mean, that's, (laughs) I'm more of a, uh, definitely an engineer not a sociologist and stuff, but I can imagine, uh, there's parts of the world where people are, uh, maybe, I guess you would say less educated that haven't had the same opportunities to, to hear about these events beforehand. And, uh, it, it probably could be a little scary for them. On the other hand, I've seen, uh, group photos from, uh, in every continent, of people out looking with with sunglasses, you know, with eclipse glasses, up at the eclipse. So if they're that well prepared, uh, I hope that there's somebody there explaining to them what's going on.
2: Thanks, uh, thanks, Gary. It should be lots of fun. I'm I'm looking forward to it now. See if I can make contact with my neighbor who's uh, was part of your presentation.
4: Ah, oh,
0: great, great. Yeah. All right. Any other uh, questions in the uh, chat room? here Let's see. I, th- I think you know a lot of the people are concerned about it. they'd love to go see it but uh, it's I think it's gonna be difficult getting in and out to tell you the truth so I don't know oh man I'd love to go see it uh, we had one a few years ago that went through Nashville and uh, it was the same day as the Huntsville ham Fest ended and uh, I was gonna drive from Huntsville up to Nashville and um, check it out but again We started hearing all the uh, information about, you know, roads not being used and everything. (laughs) We decided to watch it, so we just stayed in Huntsville and saw, you know, from the the side. We saw more of a partial eclipse instead of a full eclipse. But uh, I've never experienced a full eclipse. I'd like to do it. Uh, The one in Arkansas is going to be close. In fact, I don't have to go two hours to get to the very center because— you know the, I guess the the hundred percent blackout part has some width to it. Uh, there, uh, doesn't it, Gary? Yes. I mean, I don't know how much is it fifty miles, seventy five miles, maybe. Uh,
4: I guess my suggestion there's a there's a fantastic website called Eclipse dot com. I think. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I got one of my pictures from earlier, but uh, they've got a tremendous amount of information, and I'd rather send people there and get it get the facts straight, and uh hear my Yeah, my interpretation. I've, looked
0: at, I've looked at that site and of course it shows the <laughs> solid black line and it shows the gray you know, on the sides as you get closer closer to the sides you get less of a eclipse so i think uh you know i wouldn't even have to go two hours to actually see you know experience a, a full eclipse so i'm going to really look into that and um you know hopefully i'll, I'll be going
1: Oh, what you need, need to go. do is find a friend in arkansas and stay over with them come on we got hams over there that'll let us stay with them
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: you got family over there don't you uh i don't know <laughs> you don't know you have family <laughs> in
0: arkansas or you're not
1: going to admit that you have family in arkansas
0: well we're going to try our best to get there that's for sure yeah well gary uh, hey, we uh, go ahead
1: yeah,
2: we're getting some pretty heavy rain here. Um, is that rain or hail
0: that you we were looking at? What is that? I,
2: I think that's rain, and then the uh, camera's the infrared camera's picking up some of it. And the tower is in the in the background with yeah.
4: the
2: homemade three-element yagi, and and uh, it's it's here, it's with us. So, and we're uh, we are projected to get just real quick um, rain for about a day, a couple of days off, and then maybe rain for a week.
0: Yeah. So we might end up with
2: some flooding here in California because it doesn't take much.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, hey, Gary, hey, very interesting. Uh, there was a lot of comments in the in the chat room here about how interesting this presentation was. It was probably one That's of the very cool, probably one of the better ones that we've had here in a while. And uh, it was it was really interesting. We learned a lot, and uh, I think it's created a lot a lot of interest to uh of people. And uh, hey, guys, just you know to follow up and more information. Just go to the uh, website, hamsci.org, hamsci.org, and uh, uh, you'll be able to get all the detail there. Uh, okay. Um, anything else you'd like to mention or Gary?
4: No, I just appreciate the opportunity to, to, to meet all of you and to, and to speak to everyone, and uh, if people have questions, don't be shy, and uh, please participate.
0: All right very good Well, hey, hey you're welcome to stick around with us the rest of the show or you know go get uh, some popcorn or just turn it off whatever you <laughs> want to do uh, uh, you're uh, you're welcome to do it. We thank you very much for being with us and um, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk to you later maybe as we get closer to uh, the eclipse maybe we do something again on the show here.
4: Yeah, I'd be glad to do a follow up myself where we've got a couple other pretty good speakers as well that, uh, okay. that could uh, get get a different perspective on
0: things. So yeah, I'm going to well,
4: jump off and get some dinner. So you guys have a great evening and uh, enjoy the show.
0: All right. Well, excellent, excellent presentation here. Thank you so much.
1: 73, all. Yeah.
4: All
0: right. Thanks, Gary. You.
1: Yeah, I'll look you up in uh, Hamcation. All right. Great.
0: All right, guys hey we're gonna move on hey i'm gonna answer glenn you know glenn brought up we, we talked about this tea last week you know what oh, difference? Yeah. what difference does it make which way it's turned and we thought that eh, probably didn't make much difference but i got the news for you i'm going to give you the secret on this when we come uh-huh. back in a minute and then we're going to use a spectrum analyzer and we're going to look at some various different coaxes about how leaky they are through the shield and which one's going to be best for me To make jumper cables for the duplexer to the radio so we're going to be doing that when i come back uh so stand by guys we'll be we'll be right back with you um don't go away or hey this will be your chance if you want to go get some popcorn or something go go get your popcorn right now
2: i Uh, i wish i'd have known about this a couple of weeks ago because when i did that test on the amp part of my head was the coax was leaking
0: Uh, yeah
2: and it was affecting the results so this i'm looking forward to this
0: all right, all right all right all right we'll be right back explore the world of microwave with ICOMS new SHF portable the IC905 this all-mode rig covers 2 meters 70 centimeters 1.2 gigs 2.4 gigs 5.6 gig bands and with the optional CX 10 G transceiver it will do 10 gigahertz this transceiver also has a few industry first It's the first to support the five major general bands from VHF to SHF. The first PoE powered RF module designed to be at the base of the antenna to eliminate signal loss. And the first to be compatible with amateur TV in analog FM mode. Other features of the IC905 include a large 4.3 inch touchscreen, real-time high-speed spectrum scope, easy digital mode settings, High performance GPS antennas included, full D star functions, S D card slot. Aim higher and enter the world of SHF. For more information, go to www.icomamerica slash amateur. All right, we're we're back here. Hey, oh, while we were taking a break there, I was just talking with uh with uh, Jim there about Arkansas. He said, be careful going to Arkansas because of the police over there, the state police. I don't know if you guys are know or not, but Arkansas State Police have one of the most aggressive uh, chases, uh, uh, policies in the entire country. And they're very well respected and looked up on. And if you've never watched it on YouTube, just do a search for Arkansas State Police or ASP. They've got their own YouTube channel and you can watch hundreds I mean, every day there are new ones. You can watch hundreds of high-speed chases, Arkansas State Police. And I'm talking some of, you know, the, the, the average Arkansas State Police car, it'll do about 131, 134. But there are a few out there that chases have done 150 miles per hour. And then you got to watch the pit maneuver. Uh, there, They are not afraid to do it. They will stop you. And uh, they're well-known. Uh, I, I didn't know Jim knew that, but they're well-known. Oh,
2: yeah. It's it's uh, yeah. state troopers, not state police. It's Arkansas yeah. State Troopers AST. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, uh, another one that you might find interesting from Arizona is called Fridays with Frank.
0: Yeah, I've watched Fridays with Frank, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I watch Fridays with Frank. But uh, that's one of our favorite shows, the Arkansas State Police, man. And I had a friend yeah, that... He was, I guess, he's about my age. He's probably retired now. But uh, when I was a young ham living over in Arkansas, and he was, he was a friend of mine, and uh, he actually shot some, uh, shot some tires out chasing a guy across the bridge, the Mississippi River Bridge, back then. And he had a nice picture of him in the newspaper, where you know he had the gun out the window and oh you know like this. And uh, he uh, he actually shot the tires out as they were going across the bridge. I don't think they're allowed to do that wow. anymore. But I tell you what. They they will pit you. you
2: yeah, you, at a hundred miles an hour if they need to.
0: You will not. You will not. Uh, you you won't get away from them. Oh, man.
2: Don't mess with them.
0: Yeah. Okay. Hey. Okay. Man, I got tears in my eyes. Just thing about some of these chases, boy. If you hadn't seen it, man, tune them in. Tune them in. Gee. Hey, you know we talked about this in a show last week. I got tears in my eyes, man. Uh, we talked about this last week. Where is it? You know why is this T? Why is that T turned that direction? And, you know that's between the cavities. You see the see the four cavities right there. One side goes to receiver, one goes to the transmitter, and, and and it looks like the T is in there backwards or not quite right. Why didn't you hook that other side to the other end of the T? And we thought, well, it's not going to make a lot of difference. But but I want to I want to tell you something. See these cables here? These cables are cut very specific lengths. Down to like I don't know millimeter they're they're cut very specific links for very specific uh segments of different bands so when you connect that when you connect that those cables to the t you've got to count in the you got to consider you got to consider the distance you can't just do it to the end of the you can't just do it to the end of the coax cable Because when the coax cable screws on, you have to actually add in the rest of the T to the center right here because this adds length to the cable. If we put a 6-inch cable on here, it's almost six and a half inches to the center. So this T, uh, the reason they hooked it up that way is to get the the lengths that they've calculated and found best. Now, okay, you say, why not hook it, you know, why not just turn it around? Well, the thing is, guys, look. And Mark Pupo told me, and I've never really had any or looked at it, but they make a T. They make a T that has three uh, females on it. This has got, you know, one male and, and the two, uh, uh, two female. So, but this, this, these T's have have the male. So, why now? If you look, if you look from the bottom of this to the center, it's about. It's the same distance it is from from the end to the center. So it's equal. All three directions are equal here, but here's, here's the kicker that we didn't think about last week. Here's the kicker. To hook that cable up, to hook that cable up, you have to, you have to put that barrel in there. And if you notice that barrel, makes the makes this uh, distance from here to here about three quarter of an inch longer so it does affect it and uh, you know I, I tried the cables I look I had the spectrum analyzer hooked up and I tried the cables both ways and it did make I did see about four tenths of a DB difference having it connected one way or having it connected the other way. But this barrel connector that has to go in there to connect that other cable on, it adds what probably a half inch in there. So that's the reason. That's the reason it's a different length. So I think it. I think it's solved right there. Uh, Have see.
2: you ever looked inside one of these guys?
0: Yeah, I, I've, I've had them come apart and look at them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's hollow except for the rod.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. So the the white part doesn't uh extend very far, but there's a difference between <laughs> brand names. Uh, this one is a generic, yeah, um, and this one is a Switchcraft.
0: Yeah, there. I it, like uh, the Amphenol brand there, but most yeah, uh, a lot, many of mine are the cheaper. I, I usually take no. Yeah, to get, you know?
2: you're better off sticking with an Amphenol because um, because you know, the results will repeat. It's not going to be this one's this way. Yeah. a half a db because yeah. what you found is a huge difference
0: yeah well then, let me say this bill brings up in the in the chat room a a, a good pointer he says what frequency are you using the test The loss you know i mean if if you're using the test velocity at say 75 meters that little half inch probably wouldn't make any difference at all so bill thanks for bringing that point up uh i made the measurements at 460 megahertz which is the the uh, frequency uh, uh band where we the gmrs repeater is going to be located and that's what we've been that's what the duplexers tuned for 462 and 467 uh, uh megahertz so uh that's where we did the testing so i can say that yeah uh, you know at uhf that half inch makes a difference for sure just think about an antenna a uhf antenna you know if I had 462, you know, a half inch is going to make a big difference. On HF, it's not going to make a big difference. So the higher the frequency you go, the less, uh, I mean, the, you know, the higher the frequency you go, the more, the more uh, problems you're going to have. So, for instance, look at this antenna. Not very tall, is it? That's the NMO antenna right there. Look at this, guys. I imagine if I measured there, it'd make a big difference. That's about uh, you know, two and a half inches. This is an eight hundred. That's an eight hundred megahertz, eight hundred megahertz antenna right there. And
3: that's quarter wave, yeah. Yeah. Um, is that a Motorola uh, antenna? Or? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. I, I do. I do a lot of of Wi-Fi two point four and five gigahertz stuff, where we have half wave and uh, and 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 uh, and and N fed uh, full wave antennas and those connectors make a lot of difference i've got to yeah. say uh, we use rf industries um T's and other things because they tend to they, they actually have a dielectric in there and they tend to maintain the impedance if you use a cheap one a cheap chinese one you know it'll it'll connect but you're gonna get uh but, but you're gonna get some reflections off it there's gonna be a little bit of an <laughs> impedance mismatch might not be devastating at uhf but you never know it uh you know it could cause some problems
0: yeah and bill asked bill also mentions another thing that the uh using the uh pl259s probably are not the best uh connector for that frequency 460 uh in connectors are probably better uh but I'm working with I, I, I'm working with what I got. So I pulled out of the attic uh, a Motorola UHF duplexer. This particular duplexer here is designed to go 470 to 512, which is uh, which my 460. Uh, 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 not it goes 450, 450 to 512, and uh, my uh, my GMRS uh, falls right in the middle of that. So this is a duplexer I used right here, and I don't know why, but Motorola, Motorola did use the PL259 uh, connectors, and they call them, they call them UHF connectors, you know, I don't know why they didn't use N, but, you know, this duplex is probably fairly old, I mean, it's just from, you know, probably 1960s, 1970s, maybe. So you know maybe they upgraded later, but uh, obviously that the PL two fifty nine type SO two thirty uh, nine uh, connectors were what uh, what Motorola was using at the time, and uh, yeah. I guess it works.
3: Yeah, Motorola invented a better connector. They invented a they they invented a mini UHF connector, which they used on their yeah. on their commercial radios. that worked very well. Uh, nowadays they probably use SMA.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah well hey i uh i've got a little video here did i'm gonna show you guys now i did a very unscientific test and i'm sure i will catch a lot of flack in the chat room and uh, i've already i've already agreed that it ain't gonna bother me i did it my way they don't make a song like that, you know i did it my way Hmm. anyway i i did some basic tests uh and um to um, to try to determine what coax would be best for me to hook the receiver and the transmitter up to the duplexer, because I've got to have a couple jumpers in there, and as I show in my video here, if you, if you've got leakage between these two cables, the duplexer isn't doing you much good, man, because you're leaking a transmitter right into the receiver, and, you know, uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's, let's pull it up here and look at it real quick, and, um, Let's see if uh, let's see see how it goes here. Um, okay, all right. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did it anyway. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. So look, let's uh, let's let's jump on this real quick. And uh, uh, as you guys know, well, let let me just preface this with what what we got going here. Uh, I have some friends here in town from my church that they wanted to be able to talk to family and you know they didn't know which way the best they considered ham license and cb and all everything else but they wanted all the members of the family grandfathers grandmothers sons daughters you know everybody to be able to talk and you can't do that on ham radio unless everybody gets a license gMRS appeared to be the best solution for them uh, because, uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it, the frequencies are near the ham, UHF frequencies. They're up at 462 instead of 440. You can use repeaters. And um, the license now has come down to $35. You just pay the $35. And you get a license for GMRS. And it's good for the entire family. Grandmother, grandfather, everybody. They can all use it. And you are allowed, you're allowed to put a repeater on if you want to. Now, there's 20, there's, I think there's like 21 designated channels uh, that can be used. in the radios, the, the, the certification they have to have, the certification is you can't modify, you basically can't go in there and, and input frequencies. You can't change things. And you've got to, it has to be channelized, and that's it. Plane channelized so uh, I ordered a couple uh, GMRS radios mobile rigs that had an easy they had an easy way to connect for a repeater now these radios are FCC certified for GMRS both of them are and they include the option to connect as a repeater so we're covered in that that aspect there and uh the way the way they work you you take a little uh three pin data cable and you took the two radios together and you go in the menu and you tell it to turn on relay and uh, then and then reverse frequency on the other one and you've got a repeater system minus your duplexer minus your antenna minus you know all those other things so uh just quickly i've got a couple pictures here you probably can't tell much about it there it's so much going on and my shack is getting so so cluttered here but this is a, I, I didn't have a, a metal rack anymore to mount anything in and uh, I was kind of desperate so I just built me up a little uh two by two frame there with uh wood it and a little wood panel across there you can see the duplexer setting in the bottom and I mounted the two radios uh, across the little thing there across the little uh uh, panel that I, I cut out right there. Uh, let's see So here's a side view you can kind of see it, it's it's real cluttered uh, I, I didn't cut the cable short. I, because I don't know what I'm going to do yet The cables will be cut shorter. Uh, I need to do some cable management. So don't don't deem me or no demerits there uh, Here's a picture kind of looking from down under you can see I have a fan mounted on the transmitter there Uh, a four inch uh, fan and it will uh, hopefully it's going to cool that transmitter because these things aren't made for continuous service now the thing about these radios there's no external connections or nothing that you can attach to nothing I'm plugged into a data jack Uh, the two radios are connected by a data jack uh, uh, between the two and that's what sends the signal over for repeater and sends the audio and all that kind of stuff there is no switching that I can easily pull out there. I would, I would wa- I was wanting to find some point like a carry operated relay or something, uh, you know, uh, when the transmitter comes on that, you know, maybe I get a ground or a plus voltage and I could put a little circuit together to turn a fan on just when the repeater's on. Well, there's nothing accessible there. And also when you put it in repeater mode, even the mic connections don't work and nobody has schematics on these radios yet. So, so right now I've got the fan running all the time. Now, uh, I did order some thermistors, and uh, maybe next week we'll talk about it. I took four little parts with a uh, MOSFET, an n channel MOSFET, and a thermistor, and you can put that thermistor right there on a the heat sink, and you can uh, set a little uh, t- a 20-turn pot, and you can actually set the heat. The, the temperature for that fan to come on and go off, which is pretty cool. It'll come on and run slow and then as it heats up it'll come up faster. And then as it cools it'll actually turn off. So I've got i I've got to add the uh, the fan control uh, to it. Um so let's see what else let's see.
1: Well there's uh, another way you can do yeah. that, Tom. What was that? Um naturally when you transmit it's gonna draw more current. So why don't you put
0: that. I thought about uh,
1: one of the Arduino uh, current modules in line with the power and then you can drive an arduino from that or get a signal out from it and use that to cr- power your fan control circuit
0: well i thought about that but i'm trying to keep things simple and instead because oh, putting... i
1: mean that's a simple little module
0: well you know, that's putting a computer in line with the the, the power and, and well, you don't need I the can't...
1: computer just the module itself will give you oh, a okay, voltage okay. out that you can use to drive your little fan control circuit
0: yeah yeah I'll, i'd look to dad consider that and that is still a possibility i think i like the heat thing better uh, yeah i but, think that yeah. you know yours
1: is a simpler way i was just yeah. saying there is a way to do it through the power without any um real intrusion yeah other than yeah. you know going putting it in series with the power line
0: now, if you if you notice on the back here, you'll see two kind of copper-colored cables. And that's what I'm talking about. To hook the, you see the radio at the top right, radio at the top left. You can see I've got a, a, a coax cable comes down on the right side for the duplexer and that little skinny one coming down on the left side. I was trying to determine what is my best option for cable because I don't want those leaking to each other. Let's see if what other picture I got here. For i run the video. There's a close-up of the cable I built, uh, with the double, with the uh, double uh, shield on it. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And there's the other little cable. That's a, a Teflon F uh, T uh, F P T E or I don't know what it is, but it's double shielded. And it's also silver plated, and uh, that, that's a very good cable. So let's do this. Let's uh, let's check the video out real quick. I think uh, I got it ready here, and uh, we'll, we're going to measure and see what what's my best option for a cable to hook the duplexers up. So uh, here we go. Here we go right here. Andrews, this is like a uh, mini uh, hardline. You can see the. Okay, let me back it up here. Re- here we go. Okay, so as you know, I'm working on the GMR uh, S repeater, and uh, I'm thinking, okay, the the, the uh, duplexer, you know, notches out one frequency and passes the other frequency. But don't you think this this picture here I've got drawn here on this piece of paper? Uh, this is your typical duplexer here with the uh, with the antenna. And your cable here, your coax cable from the duplexer to the receiver and duplexer to the transmitter. And if these two cables right here, if these two cables are leaky and you you get signals like this from one cable to the other, that defeats the purpose of the duplexer. So we need some really good cables to hook the transmitter to the duplexer and the receiver to the duplexer. So I started thinking, okay, what do I got here? You know, I, I'm making do with what I have in the junk box, basically. Let's uh, let's just play with some uh, RG8 first. This is RG8. I'm gonna do some simple, very unscientific test. It's not scientific, so uh, come in all you want. But let's look at the uh, uh, analyzer here. We're gonna put it on. A, we're gonna put it on the frequency of our uh, repeater. Uh, so we're gonna go frequency. Uh, uh 460 462.7. all right that's one of the frequencies. And then we're going to make our start frequency about uh, let's just make it 460 460 and our stop frequency we're going to make it about 470. All right, and that should give us just, uh, you know, uh, a, a couple megahertz each side of our frequency. All right, we're going to turn the tracking generator on. Tracking generator is on. So I'm going to take a piece of, uh, I thought about using a piece of RG, uh, RG8 RG uh, cable here to make our patch cable. Let's, I want to check and see what kind of leakage I get through the shield. This is some very old coax. I'm not sure how good the shield is, but let's just look. So, first of all, I'm looking at the, the, uh, the spectrum analyzer, and we've got kind of a base here, a little about 60, about 62, a minus 62 as our base. Okay, so what we're going to do now, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to plug the uh, this cable in right here to the uh, tracking generator, and I'm going to do this. Uh, I've got just a piece of wire. Stuck into the analyzer here, and I'm going to wrap it around the coax here like this Just make uh, just couple it with uh, a few turns like this And we're going to see what we got here so all right, so You know we had a reference of a minus 60 and I just saw it move here on us uh, We had a reference of a minus 60 and it looks like um, It's somewhere about a minus 50, so RG8, RG8 does have some leakage here, Uh, RG8 was a a minus 50, okay, so let's do this, let's see if we can do something better here, so I'm going to take this off, and, um, you know, when you can't buy something nice, you have to make it, and that's what ham radio is all about, making stuff, let's see if this is any better. I took a piece of, um, took a piece of RG8, and I I double sided the uh, the shield. In other words, I took uh, I took the shield off another uh, RG8 and uh, slid it on top of the jacket here. So we've got a double um, double shielded RG8. Let's see how it looks see how it looks here. See so what kind of leakage we've got with it. I just soldered this uh, shield onto the connector on both ends. All right, so we're going to wrap our wire back around it here. You know, close to the same coupling we had before. Let's see what we get. Well, it's showing about a minus 50. So I didn't really see any improvement there. Uh, So the double shield RG8 was uh, about a minus 50, about the same. I I didn't see much difference there. So I'm not sure it's helping any at all. Uh, Previous test I've done, this cable actually had about 5 dB more loss than the non-shielded cable. I don't understand why our... um, Measurement showed the same that time, but it's really not any better It's really not any better. So let's try something else. Let's try a couple other uh, uh, pieces of cable here Uh, Hey, here's a piece of uh, Andrews This is like a mini uh, hard line. You can see the, the Little ridges in here. This is like almost like copper. It's a hard line and uh, let's see. What, let's see what kind of leak you just got. So we're gonna put a, we're gonna put this one on here. We're gonna wrap our our pickup around it. Wow! Look at that. Minus seventy. That's Andrews. Um, That's a minus 70 uh, dB right there. Um, no leakage at all. In fact, you know, we started out with a reference of minus 60. That's even lower than our reference was. So it's really shielding well. All right, let's take it off. Let's try a couple more here real quick. I've got some other coax I want to try. Now, I okay, have this one a junk box. So this is a junk box, and this is a this is RG400. RG400. RG it's a Teflon coated, uh, silver plate, doubles, double uh, shielded, everything is silver uh, plated in there. So let's try let's try a piece of the uh, uh, RG400 and see how it acts as far as leakage. It's a lot smaller cable. All right, so we're going to wrap our pickup around it. And our pickup is wrapped around it. And look at there, we're at a minus 70. Remember, our reference with, with no coupling at all was a minus 60. Noise up. We're at a minus 70, basically. Uh, I mean, that is, that's just outstanding. Okay, let's take that off. Now, I'm going to tell you something about this cable, this uh, RG400, I looked it up a minute ago. Hard to believe, the maximum frequency for this little skinny RG400 is 12 gigahertz, 12 gigs, guys, not megahertz, but 12 gigahertz. And it's about $11 a foot, is what this stuff cost. Uh... I've got a little piece of, um, this is RG142, RG142, it's very similar to the RG400, let's see how the RG142 does, and uh, see what kind of leakage it gets, it's probably going to be very similar to almost no leakage at all, All right, we're gonna take our coupling right here, just go around it, and we're around it, and man, minus seventy. So it has no no leakage at all. It's that's even well below our reference that we had a minus sixty with with no signal all ago. Go. So, I mean, this is um, this tells me that I'm probably on a repeater. I'm probably gonna use this to couple the. Um, uh, duplexer to the transmitter receiver, instead of my homemade double shield, or instead of um, instead of RG8. So that's kind of where we are. Just give you a little uh, little class right here on what I discovered, uh, measuring the different coaxes and how well the shield is and how much leakage they might have. So uh, I think this has proven to me which one I want to use. We have a great Facebook group. It's called uh, W5KUB. Let me see, W5KUB. All right, so that was that was my unscientific uh, measurements, but it did give me, you know, some uh, some comparisons. Uh, the RG four hundred is good. Again, the rg four hundred is uh double shielded. Everything is silver plated. I believe this is uh this one was uh this is uh the RG what did I say, one hundred forty two? Yeah. Yeah, R G one forty two I think. It looks it looks uh it's just made by a different company too, but it looks very similar to you know it's the same type um, I guess jacket it's silver plated also all these are silver plated uh, <coughs> double double plated I mean double shielded silver plated so it makes a real big difference man so I'm probably gonna do something like that guys. Uh, let's see I had some questions in there uh, coordination uh, I've checked there is no coordination required on GMS They're, they don't do it like ham radio does with the voluntary uh, coordination uh, in my city here, there are no GMRS repeaters. And that's the reason that uh, I'm trying to put something together because, as you guys know, a handy talkie will do about, what, maybe 2,000 feet. And, uh, you know, a mobile might do, you know, four or five miles maybe out in the open. So I'm trying to get them a, a, a repeater here. And uh, yeah, Actually,
1: Tom, one yeah. of the OBARC guys is also building a GMRS repeater. Now, who is that? One of the guys in the Olive Branch Club.
0: Okay, okay, that's cool. Uh, so uh, I've got some hard line coming uh, for the antenna, and uh, we're going to be able to put, I've got the GMRS antenna, the, the uh, repeater antenna here. Uh, yeah, what the, does the uh, antenna look like? Uh, what, what, it's, what? it's a, uh, you know, it's standard fiberglass type. Ground plane type. Because a type quarter or, um, wavelength
2: is what about six inches, or
0: no? It's or not so? that big. It's not that big. You can see it right here. It's got the, you know, it's got the, got the ground oh, plane okay. on it. Um, it's it's about five feet, five feet tall. It does, it does come apart in the center. It's got a nice heavy brass fitting in the center where it will come apart. That you should know,
2: have a bunch of gain, huh?
0: Well, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how much it's got, uh, Jim. Uh, but I know one thing. Let's talk antennas just for a minute. Uh, you know, I had a couple repeaters on over in Arkansas years ago—a a VHF and a UHF repeater—and uh, you know, a Ringo Ranger, if you're familiar with, and some of the new guys might not even know what a Ringo Ranger is. I don't even know if you can still buy them. But uh, a Ringo Ranger had, yes, I think, six dB gain uh, back then. The big one did. The small Ringo Ranger was three dB, and you get the Ringo Ringo Ranger was a six dB. Well, I had that on top of a water tower in West Memphis, at 150 feet, and wow. and and the repeater the repeater would cover maybe 20 miles, maybe 20 miles with that Ringo Ranger up here. We ordered a Phelps Dodge Super Station Master antenna. That's the fiberglass antenna like Jim's talking about. It was 21 feet tall. This is VHF now. 21 feet tall. Whoa. That the the uh, fiberglass was about four inches in diameter at the base. This is a massive, really massive antenna. It it wow. was a six dB gain antenna. But the Ringo Ranger six dB it it we would work consistently maybe twenty miles. We put that C, uh, that Phelps dog Super Station Master antenna up here, and the repeater went instantly to like forty miles. I mean it was it it was a major difference probably because it had covalentary elements or something stacked and they probably went very high i i have no idea but antenna quality does make a difference the
2: most makes, important part of your station yeah, is the antenna and difference. the feed line
0: yeah and i don't know uh, you know I I, I I i i'm not sure about the i'm sure this is built in china this antenna i got here but Hey, it is what it is. Guys, I don't have a tower up anymore. Uh, I, I gave away my tower and everything. I use all wire antennas. And right now, uh, uh, I've got a friend coming over with a drone. We're going to put a, a rope with a pulley over a limb, over a limb in a tree. It's about 60 feet in the air. And we're going to pull this antenna up at 60 feet, and that's where we're going to operate, out of a tree. Uh, my little town I'm in, I, I don't think we have a building taller than two stories here, you know, in, in my town. Anyway, hey, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, let's see. Um, so, no, no coordination uh, needed down here. There ain't any repeaters anyway. Maybe I can come the. Maybe I can become the repeater coordinator. <laughs> this may be a total flop. I don't know if if this doesn't work out well for them. Uh, I'll probably just junk out this repeater and tear it up for parts I don't know now so this repeater again it w- when you put these two certified radios into repeat mode the mic didn't the mics don't work on them so that input doesn't work and um, uh there is no DIN plug or anything on the back. It's just a little data, one-eighth inch data plug with three, three terminals. I mean, you know, yeah. tip, tip ring, sleeve. And I, I broke that line apart, and I put my meter across it. And I'm thinking, okay, one of them has to be push to talk or you know, COR, and one has to be audio. Well, it's not. So what they're doing, they're running some type data stream from one radio to the other and controlling it. Because when I do the setup all the setup on on the receiver it automatically comes up on that transmitter over there so so uh you asked about uh, you asked about id my my per, my uh, thoughts were my thoughts were i was going to add here's a here's an idea commercial idea uh this is a raycom i've got it i've got it programmed right now for uh the repeater id but i don't think i can i can't find I can't find access into the radio anywhere to put audio in it, so that's an issue. Uh, the other thing I can do, I can use a like a, a little portable or something to key the repeater up. I can interface the I can interface the repeater ID into that handy talkie and you know key, key it up that way. Uh, the rules say I think every 10 minutes you're supposed to ID. Um, but you know, I, uh, I I doubt anybody out here on GMRS is gonna be able to copy the Morse code. So, I've ordered a little, a couple little boards off eBay for about four bucks a piece, and uh, they're voice they're uh, they're 10 second, ten second voice recorders. Press a little button, you record your call letters, and take your finger off, and it's got a little uh, connection here that will trigger trigger it. So, uh, I thought, hey, I'll just put a voice recorder on there. Let's see.
1: Um, um, you'll actually be surprised how many hams in this area have GMRS licenses as well.
0: Yeah, I don't know of a any around of here. Uh, okay. Yeah, Brett's talking about collinear. Yeah, Brett, I'm very familiar with uh, the collinear antenna and how you use alternating pieces of coax to build it. Uh, uh, there's a lot of information out there to do that. Um, yeah, you can do it. Uh, I'm not going to try to do that yet. Um, uh, let's see. The thing is
3: that if you try to hang it from a tree, it's very easy. You just take the coax, you swap the braid, you chop, swap the braid and center conductor, and then do it again, do it again yeah, for however yeah. long you want to go.
0: Yeah.
2: Tom, it, would that be uh, fair to call it common mode currents that you were measuring? When it's leakage uh, like that, or
0: no, I, I, I know not, common mode. Is... Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. It's just yeah, I, 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 I don't I, know. I, I don't know what you yeah. call it. Uh, there, there wouldn't be much there to tell you the truth. I mean, I'm, we were the generator putting out generator was putting, out, the generator was putting yeah. out zero dB, which is uh, one milliwatt. Okay. So yeah, it'd be very low if it is any current there. Yeah. Let's see. Um. Let's see. So, I probably will be using this, um, you know, like this RG400. Probably something like this for the, for the thing. My double shielded didn't seem to do much good, to tell you the truth. And uh, uh, I don't know why. It acted just about the same as just a straight piece of RG8. Although, the first time I tested it, it, it was about 5 dB worse. But... Uh, when we tested there for the show, it was they were almost equal. Ah, uh, well, let's see. I'm looking at the chat room here, I'll see. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, I can use a J pole, whatever, but it doesn't have any, doesn't really have any gain to it, right? I mean, J is going to be what? I don't know if you get three dB out of a J pole or not. Probably not. Well, there's
1: a question, Tom. Does the uh, GMRS licensing uh, allow you to use gain antennas?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, hey, I'm no G- GMRS expert. This is new to me. I've been in radio for sixty years, and uh, it's like uh, another world. Believe me, when you start looking at this, the frequency and the way they got the band set up, and uh, but uh, you can run fifty watts, fifty watts uh, mobile, or fifty watts. Um, uh, 50 watts base, fixed. you know, yeah. uh, on a repeater or a 50 watts repeater. I don't recall seeing anywhere in the air where it was talking about ERP or anything. So they may not got that technical with the GMRS. I don't know.
1: Yeah, because I mean, then you can put a yagi on it and have all kinds of fun.
0: But you know, there's a lot in like uh, KC0EB. Is it EBL? There's in the chat rooms talking about linking. I mean, they, they're doing stuff with uh, G, GMRS repeaters like hams are doing they're doing internet linking of all these repeaters and they've got so many things going on. I'm not that far into it. And, uh, I'm not, um, you know, I probably won't take it there. I'm just trying to get these guys a, a repeater that maybe can extend their range some, you know, uh, no restrictions on ERP. Okay. uh, Brett, Brett says,
1: uh, yeah, just, you know, basic power out of the rig and off you go.
0: So so you know the 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 interesting thing is the, the well the nice thing is these two radios are FCC certified and they are certified with the repeater option built into them so we're really not um, we're really not violating anything like here now I've got other radios here that have been converted for out of band that you know will transmit and receive in these frequencies uh, but of course, they would not be certified if the FCC wanted to, you know, uh, check or anything. That they they really wouldn't be legal. They'd probably tell you to to get off of it. There are there are a couple, two or three repeaters in Memphis. The closest closest one is at uh, on a hotel, uh, about eight or eight or nine miles from here, and it will not reach here. It 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 just it it won't cover here. So uh, the range on there the range on the repeaters there are really really uh, small can you internet cross link ham and gmrs i don't think so um don't think so uh all my uhf capable ham radios can use gmrs frequencies it wouldn't be legal for me to transmit yeah yeah that's true that's true uh the thing about the GMRS, uh, I mean, us hams, we have the freedom to experiment and build and build our own receivers and stuff. You can't do that on GMRS. They've got, they've really got that tied down. Uh, they don't want you doing really anything outside of what it was intended for, and that's why it's channelized. Now, here's here's a little problem I ran into. First of all, in even trying to program these from the menu, uh, it took me two full days to read the Chinese instructions.
2: You can read Chinese?
0: Well, not very well, because several, and I read a couple of paragraphs here to to everybody here one night, and in there he quotes Shakespeare in the instructions. one of (laughs) the instructions says, do this, take this switch and do that, and he says, to be or not to be, and then he says, do something else. (laughs) And it's just over and over, and oh, man. Anyway, I finally got it figured out. There was no help on the Internet. There was two... Two uh, uh, YouTube things that sh- guy had his put in repeater mode, and it 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 just didn't work because it was missing some steps that w- were important. Another thing, another thing, is these radios are made by Retrievus, and if you if you look at the GMRS frequency layout, GMRS and FRS share. The same, I think, the same first eight channels. So you can have an FRS radio, no license, and you can talk to GMRS back and forth. Yeah, no no biggie. The FRS, I think, can only run a maximum of maybe like a half a watt or something. It's those little bitty handy talkies you see at Walmart. So then you got channels, uh, what, like 9 through 15 or something that are your main channels that are like 462.5 seven oh 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 you know four sixty two dot you know seven two five oh you know you, those channels and they're simplex and then you've got then they allow you to have repeaters but the repeaters use the same channels as the nine through 15 channels all right so the retrievis List them differently. I'm on channel 21 on the retrievis But I've got a radio oddity. I bought a little radio oddity uh, GMRS radio, let me show it to you and um, Let me show you this radio uh, So So I ordered this GMRS radio to work into the repeater how do you like this for a radio? I mean, this is about, that's about the size of your hand. Pretty small. Really small. Anyway, uh, so, so what I'm saying is the Retrievus radios that I built for Peter, they list their channels as one through four. One through fifteen, and then, and then, it, something like then it goes twenty one R, twenty two R, twenty three R. R means repeater, but they're using the same channels as the eight through fifteen. Now, here, here's the here's the bad part. I got the repeater on channel twenty one. The radio oddity has to be on channel twenty nine. It has to be on channel twenty nine to talk to, talk to. It this it, display has to show twenty, it has to show twenty nine to talk to repeater twenty one. So that threw me off for a while, and I only finally realized that by looking at the signals on a spectrum analyzer. There, I'd key up, and I, I would, look, I could see the frequencies keying up and everything. And uh, man, it was a nightmare. But I finally, finally got it. I made a little short video, put it on YouTube, maybe to help somebody to get their... Retrieve this put into a uh, repeater mode. Woo! I'm out of breath because I'm thinking of the two days I spent trying to get that menu going here. Let's see. Um, Let's see. Yeah. Let's see. Trying to catch up on the uh, chat room here, guys. Yeah, the uh, the Retrievus uh, and the Antitone, and there's another one. They all kind of have the same mics, I think. But you got to be careful there, guys. in uh, I didn't want to get in there and start probing around in the mic connector because there is eight volts in there and stuff. And in that microphone, the microphones have uh, a lot of uh, uh, intelligence in them, you know, for all the frequency settings and frequency up and down and all that stuff. It's not just a simple, you know, two wires push to talk and, and two wires hooks to a mic element. It, is, it, it, com- it comes out of basically a little computer in your hand. So uh, that's, that's an issue. Uh, I'm not sure how they're getting the, the, uh, the audio. Well, uh, to get the audio and the push to talk from one radio to the other is through the data jack. And they're doing something data wise. They're sending some type of data stream across there. Uh, now, Tom,
1: did you find yeah. a chart or anything listing the frequency differences between these radios?
0: Well, every every manufacturer has their own chart up there, and you can see you can you can compare. In fact, if you compare the books, you get a little manual, a Chinese manual, with each radio, and uh, uh, it it will show you the frequencies. Uh, except uh, except uh, the it doesn't even show on this uh, radio. Oddity, radiated me, How do you say it? Radio oddity is what you called it the first time. <laughs> radio.
1: I think Tom's been testing. Can the you whiskey. read it?
0: Can you read it? <laughs> radio,
2: radio oddity, and the other one is us
0: Yeah. Okay. So they had the frequencies listed, of course, in both books. But on this one, when you got up to the repeater channels, they didn't have the frequencies even listed. So I don't know. But I got it. I got it figured out. It's we're 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 making some progress here.
1: Yeah. But I'm thinking for the layman to figure that out, so they can get to your repeater.
0: Well, you know, uh, hey, uh, it, it, it's all good now. I got it figured out, and I put a YouTube out there. And uh, uh, as the, my friends use it, they can share it with other people. And, you know, if you want to do this, yeah. do that. And, you know, well, let's see. <laughs> ah, WNLV says he bought a Chinese oscilloscope. Right in the middle of instructions, and the next step, totally unrelated to anything. It said, turn the oven to 150 <laughs> degrees centigrade. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. Uh, the, uh, Tom, did you ever build any of you, know, you built the Pixie radios. Did you ever build the one called the Frog Sounds? No, no. Uh, they had a very similar instructions to that. Yeah. I'll yeah. have to dig those up, but yeah. They, there's some crazy stuff in those instructions.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, like you help know, by a being lot of held things, prisoner. I had to go out. I went to Harbor Freight and bought me a welder because every instruction yeah. I got, they said, weld this part and weld this wire together. So I went out and got me a welder, man.
1: Yeah, uh, Help, I'm being held prisoner in a Chinese radio factory.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, they they some of those instructions are crazy. Are, are we still alive? Yes, uh,
0: we are. Yeah, we we are. For now. <laughs> yeah, we we'll, we we'll, we'll stay live for another 7 minutes And that yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh I've got a, a ham radio. We're talking about fried fried the radio here. Uh I've got a uh ham uh dual band mobile rig, detachable front plate and everything. And back when uh I was putting in uh APRS to it I tried to interface the APRS to the to the mic jack, and of course the mic jack on most all of these have like plus eight volts because they're sending voltage into that microphone because they got microprocessors in the microphone, mm-hmm. and somehow in that micro in in that mic jack, I shorted out something and basically destroyed uh, the input uh, that uh, VHF UHF uh, mobile rig there at the mic jack, so it wouldn't work anymore. The control head still works. The mic jack just doesn't work there. But since it's a split system, the mic can plug into the radio itself and continue to still work. So, you know, my experience was one time I, I messed around probing around in the mic, uh, uh, mic jack there, and, and I messed things up. So I really didn't want to do it on these radios. Uh, there's not hardly any documentation out there yet. And, and, and just the fact that in repeater mode, the microphone does not work. Uh, it tells me that uh, somewhere, you know, their processor somehow has disabled the input or something into that, uh, into that, possibly into the mic jack. I don't, I don't know.
3: Yeah, the Anytone mic jack ha- um, interface has been reverse engineered. If you search uh-huh. the web for it, uh, I don't know how perfect their reverse engineering is, but you might be able to do something.
0: Well, I'll look it up, and but but the the thing is, yeah, the mic jack is active when it's not in repeater mode. But when it's in a repeater mode, the mic jack is not active. So that may cause me some issues.
3: Yep you you would have to you'd have to hack it and not use the repeater
0: mode. you but have if to I don't if I don't, re- yeah, if I don't use the yeah if I don't use repeater mode, then I could go more of a traditional repeater, where I've already i already started building up some little control circuits. You know for the to uh you know to pick up the carrier operated relay then drive drive the push to talk and then i could bring the uh, you know bring the audio over in so that could be a more traditional way of doing it but uh this makes it easy to get repeater mode on a menu just a couple button clicks and you're in repeater mode um uh,
2: but, and that's got, and they've got an odd mic jack too, don't they? No, it's, mic a, it's jack an RJ. Far.
0: It's an RJ forty-five. It's standard. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's standard. Oh, okay. So, hey guys, uh, just one last thing, man. You know, we did a show on batteries because flying our uh, our pico balloons, nobody's been able to make a battery work up at forty to fifty thousand feet. It's too cold, and uh, a bat- the batteries just will not charge or discharge up there. Like, uh, we did a lot of testing with LiPo batteries here. We have a video that we put out where we actually uh, put it in a temperature-controlled box. We brought the temperatures down to, like, minus 40 degrees Celsius, and we, we were monitoring the charging current, the voltage, and everything on both batteries, one discharging, one charging. And when you get down to around zero, the the LiPo batteries, they just they cut off. They will not work. They will not take a charge. Uh, they will not... Uh, they will not put out a charge. Now I was just reading here with this terrible, I, the terrible winter storm we got. Like Brett's got there with minus 40. Uh, uh, electric cars are not charging now. All these electric cars are being, uh, uh, they're all, they're all junked out on the roads. They can't get them to start. People are having them towed to a, uh, to a charging station, and they will not charge just because the temperature is too low they won't charge. So that's going to be an issue. You know, I guess most of the time the temperature don't get that bad and you know. I well, don't they're know. actually
1: saying some of the charging stations aren't putting out and I'm like that's pretty bad.
0: Yeah, so uh here's a article of course you can you can you can read these but here's a Tesla supercharging station packed uh packed dead cars lined up in the parking lot due to fridge attempts so th- they're just not charging the cars won't run so you know you better have a gas car uh at least one gas car for a standby or a motorcycle and i don't think you want to be on a motorcycle out during all this um uh, but uh man you know i i didn't think much about the batteries not charging in the cars but i mean
1: yeah that was a surprise
0: that was you know it hit me off guard but that verifies what we learned in, in our battery test here. Okay. Well, hey, guys. Hey, let me just make a quick announcement. If you're out there listening on WBCQ, International Shortwave, 7490, you've been listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable. This is a show about ham radio and shortwave. We're about to sign off, but if you will, send us an email to tom at w5kub.com, tom at w 5 kub Dot com. Let us know where you are in the world, how you're here in the station. Also, if you want to join our show live, it's on Tuesday nights from 8, 8 to about 10 o'clock uh, on w5kub.com. W5kub.com. Save it for everybody. Good night, everybody. All right that that'll fill our two-hour spot on shortwave
2: yeah that red company sent me a couple of those radios by the way did, is it,
0: did you get which one did you get did you get the uh I, the re 87
2: i don't know one is a little bit different from the other then okay. another company wanted to send one to me and i said no and i ended up not doing a review of them uh they were free but yeah yeah uh no thank you i i didn't check to see if they were clean yeah, um, I uh,
0: I actually uh, I actually paid for these to get them to to put them on had, about hundred bucks a, pair, a piece. They had they what?
2: About a hundred dollars a piece. Uh, well,
0: I, well, I think the two of them they had a, they had a price two of them for like three nineteen or something like that.
2: Okay, so one hundred sixty. Uh, the,
3: the, the the art the RT ninety five and the seven seven eight UV those are the ones that don't have digital modes go for about a hundred dollars if you shop around. I have one.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. it's
3: pretty. I keep I keep it in uh, keep it in my shack and just keep it uh, tuned to the local repeaters all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: And it works pretty well. It's a 25 watt rig. It's not super powerful. But I have a good antenna up there. And uh, you know, what, what can I say it? I wish it had there were some features I wish it had.
0: Well, I mean, uh, I've got a question. I got a question for you about the power let me tell you uh this this radio ready 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 whatever it is it's supposed to be a 25 watt radio yeah we, we ordered three my my friends ordered a couple i ordered one put it on a bird watt meter and and even tried it on an antenna and a bird watt meter and and uh, uh a real high-end 50 ohm dummy load and instead of 25 watts i was getting like 12 to 14 watts so i sent it back mm-hmm. they sent me another one the 25 watt radio would do about 14 to 16 watts i checked the other two that we bought they're, they're doing about 15 watts for did 25 you, did watt. you
3: check the power setting for the channel you were on yeah, because yeah, it has, yeah, it has three power levels and i yeah. discovered that it, the default was not the highest power
0: the the medium power and low power is pro- just about right on what the book says, but when you go to high power, it, it's mm-hmm. it's not there. Also, the Retrievus radios here they're supposed to be. What uh, are oh, these retrievis? They're uh, oh man, I'm about to I'm about to forget what they are here. I was gonna look at the book here. Okay, the Retrievus... If I'm saying it right. I don't think I'm saying it right. I think it's supposed to be a 40 watt. I think it's a 40 watt radio. Which model? It's the RA87. Look and tell me what Can you look it up real quick? RA87.
3: Okay, that's not the one I have. The
0: RA87. Uh, we got specifications here. Um, anyway, I.
2: On a bird watt meter, I didn't get anywhere near the output that they claimed.
0: Yeah, harmed.
3: yeah, it's okay, like yep. it, it's. R87, I got the specs here. It's a. 40. It's it's a supposed to be a forty watt GMRS rate.
0: Yeah, forty watt. It'll do about twenty five watts, and, and both of them. I got two of them. The four. The two forty watt radios. They'll do about twenty five watts, and that's what I found with about every Chinese radio I've tested here.
2: Yeah, I checked it with a bird watt meter. And uh, I knew a bird dummy load that's good to, like, 10 gigs. And yeah. the output just wasn't there. And I had plenty of voltage on it too. I mm-hmm. thought this was the box I had them in, but it's not.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
2: And I was afraid that it would have harmonics or other problems. And um, if you'll notice, most of the talking YouTube heads, they will all have, like, the same antenna. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know uh from one company in particular you'll find they all have that antenna then a couple of weeks later they all have something else uh it's because they're getting it for free which is the offers i get and i just turn them down now
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh-huh. i guess i shouldn't be doing i don't know
0: well well and uh mark uh mark asked me couldn't i turn the repeat function off and just make it a traditional repeater uh, yeah i mentioned mentioned it a minute ago i could do that it's just easy to turn on the repeat function. Uh, it's, it's, it, it is certified to the FCC to do that. But, uh, yeah, if, if uh, I had oh, to pin oh, out. Oh, but
2: I have, I have yeah. another question for yeah. you. Did you check the FCC certification number? did. You I, I did you check to see that it was oh. for real? Oh. No, because I had one radio from a company, and I went to the FCC site.
0: Yeah.
2: The number was bogus.
0: Well, you know, I checked one of them. I checked one of them, and it was. I, I don't know if I checked the retrievers or okay. not. That's uh, okay, that's probably to I'll do that. But to answer Mark's question, uh, yeah, I could turn it off, and uh, I could do some interfacing between, you know, I, I hate to use audio from the speaker out, but since these radios have no other auxiliary outputs, I'd have to basically use speaker out from my audio, which mm-hmm. would work. And and you know, uh, but but then I, I would also need to pick up some type uh, uh, carrier operated relay. So when a, when a receiver receives, I need something to 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 key. And since there's no DIN plug on the back or nothing like that where I can pick that up, the only other thing I could possibly do is like Well, no, that, that, this is received. I, what yeah. I, what I could do is use box. I would have to put box on the uh the transmitter and when the audio came on the receiver it would key the transmitter up. I don't like using box for yeah, that. Yeah,
2: that's risky.
3: Uh
0: but I mean it could be done. I thought about that. Uh, uh so uh I, you know.
3: The only problem with using boxes is that you may you may want to use if you, if you want to use a tone. Yeah, you're yeah. also going to you're also going to need a tone decoder. Yeah. I was going to say
1: back in the day didn't we do something where we were actually able to detect the noise, you know, the background noise, if a receiver was open and, and use that as the, the COR.
0: Well, we, we and a lot of the oh. repeater building, we would come off the discriminator. Yeah. Well, what I mean, even where, just know, off
1: the audio, yeah. you, you know, the, the audio is going to change when yeah. it's open.
0: Yeah. Well,
3: you know, these radios all have squelch. And so you can make it so it break, you know, first of all, it has to break squelch. Yeah. And then after it breaks squelch, if you have a tone, you can have a tone decoder. Yeah. But I mean, even without yeah, a tone. Passes, but... So if it gets through both of those, you know, gets over both of those hurdles, yeah, then you can turn on your transmitter and assume it's okay to repeat. Yeah. But I yeah, want to yeah, say yeah, back could, in the yeah, day, yeah, we yeah, would yeah, do tone, it from just background tone, noise.
0: Tone would be a way to circumvent not having a, you know, carrier operated relay uh, interface, you know. uh, Yep. Yeah. I see. Build up a low power. Here. Yeah, Bill's saying you could build up a low power UHF transmitter with voice ID. That's what I, was, I said earlier, Bill. We could, I could use just uh, this little radio oddity here and uh, put the ID on it and just tee the repeater up every uh, few minutes with it and let it ID. But you know, we're kind of in the beginning stages here uh, to uh, uh, you know the uh, the, uh, the the the, the VHF repeater, the UHF repeater I had was a Motorola uh, uh, micro repeater that I had, and it, it was a commercial-made repeater that was on UHF. but uh, Well, now, here's
1: another thought. Yeah. Does somebody make a controller that would use the microphone connectors?
0: Well, I mean, yeah, yeah I, was, I fixed the mention of controller. You can buy a controller. They're coming down cheap now, but uh, you, you'd still need something to trigger you know, like the COR or whatever. Well, and their like,
1: controller may handle that through the yeah. receive audio. Well,
0: well, through the receive audio, maybe. But now you're, now you're. Because I'm yeah. going to say, back yeah. in the day, yeah.
1: we had a circuit that would detect when there was even background noise on that receive audio.
0: Well, Vox and, would do and that. The would Vox be... would do that if noise comes up. Vox will. will yeah, bring but it I mean.
1: Up. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, a Vox, but, but like, not but a like, voice-operated uh, like, Vox.
0: Like Brett is saying, put a put, put a put a tone on there and let the tone key it up. Yeah, that, but I mean, I'm lovely. not a
1: fan of I'm not a fan of tones.
0: I'm not either. Well, I you know I home brewed uh, I home a controller uh, many years ago, and uh, man, it did everything. And you started off small oh, yeah. and basically I all did. Basically, you know, you take your 555s and your 567 chips and stuff, and, and you build up a little timer circuit. This is your timeout. If anybody keys longer than three minutes, it's going to drop out, you know, and it'll reset if somebody lets off the mic. Okay. Well, then you add another chip in there that, 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 that measures that, time, that, that, uh, that pulse there, and it takes you out to the 10-minute time, and it, uh, it, it takes you into something that's going to cycle your idea that you actually homebrew. Yeah, and then, then the and old
1: then, diode matrix for the CW.
0: And then we, uh, you know, we we uh, I, then I built into that circuitry uh, uh, high power, low power. For instance, we were down at a water, we were down at a, at a water towers where we were. And we had we did have a solid state receiver in there and transmitter, and uh, I think we had a, a big car battery in there to run it on. But we ran on 110 volts, and the idea when the ID with ID. It would ID with a high pitch, and that high pitch says, hey, we're on high power. And then if the power goes off, the relays click, and the IDer comes on, and ID's in a low pitch. And we go, oh, man, the repeater's on low power. It's on 1 watt now instead of, you know, 30 watts. And uh and then of course we built up a circuit, Glenn, and I still got got it here. Oh yeah.
1: I uh, built we, them all.
0: We we got a circuit here that was for control. It was called One Ring On and Off. And Pat Lane, if you know Pat Lane, he was the engineer at WKNO uh, radio TV station here. Fifty years ago. I went down, met with Pat, and we drew it out. And it was a one-ring on and off. And it was it used timer chips. I think it had three timer chips. I don't know how he did it, but no calculations, no nothing. He must have just remembered it. He drew a sucker out, and he put, you know, 47K here and a 10K here. And, and, and what he does is and then we hook to a phone line, and when the phone would ring one time, it would sense that, and then if you hang up, no more rings, it would, it would know that that was only a one ring, and it would turn the repeater off. And if we want to turn the repeater on, you dial it up, one ring only, hang it up, and the repeater would turn on. So that's the way we control the repeater. Now, hey, here's a funny story about that. This was, I don't know what year this, 1976, the bicentennial. The the Memphis, the big Memphis newspaper calls me because we had a phone line. I'm in West Memphis. West Memphis and Memphis was in the same phone book. The phone book's about that thick. And uh, they called me. Well... So, let me tell you, first I got a phone line put in, okay, and we didn't want to pay extra to have it a, what do you call it, a private number? You know, to have a private number, you had to pay extra, and of course, we were hams, we didn't have any money, so we just made it a regular number, but we made up a name, and my my friend's name was Sam, my, my name is Tom, so we wanted to be the last name in the phone book. And there was a Zorkel in the phone book, a Zorkel. So we said, let's call it T.S. Zorkel with an O. <laughs> All right. So that's how we that's how we bought our phone line. Okay. Now guess what? At the bicentennial, nineteen seventy six, the newspaper calls me and says, Mr. Z- Mr. Zorkel, uh, <laughs> I'd like to talk to you a minute. We would like to uh, we would like to we're writing an article on the new Memphis phone book A to Z and you're you're Mr. Z and we'd like to put that in the newspaper and i go oh man no you know i don't want you putting that in the newspaper we, here it it's a private thing it, it's not a real phone it's you know i so, said well you know it is public knowledge you know you, you i said yeah well they never put it in the phone book but we we are we were T S Zorkle. Now, hey, when I called when I called the phone company to get that line installed, I talked to the lady on the phone. Yeah, I'd like to order a phone line. Okay, very good. Uh and what name would you like to put in? And I said, Well, let's uh let's put it in T S Zorkel. And she said, listen, I said, let's put it in T S. Zorkel. And she says, Is that T as in Tom? S as in Sam? <laughs> All right, so that's the story there. Now, one other thing, one other thing is that Kroger over there used to give like a $5 gift certificate or something every week if they pick your name. And T.S. Zorkel won $5 over there one time. <laughs> and I went down to collect the money and I said, I, you know, I, I don't really have any ID to say I'm T.S. Zorkel, but I, I'm T.S. Zorkel. And I've got a, I've got the newspaper clipping over here I think uh, still in the drawer where T.S. Oracle, uh got his five bucks, so <laughs> so anyway back to my control circuitry you know we kept adding and adding modules to it you know it's on a great big old board here you know a little purple with all the holes we kept adding oh then we added three what is it any. 567s the tone decoders or the tone any decoder yeah yeah the tone decoder so with the with three any 567 tone decoders you could decode all the t- touchstone digits and you just you tune those for the the vert, you know vertical one two three and then you tune the others for a horizontal What? Well, i guess i guess we had seven in here didn't we you'd have to have yeah seven. we had seven in here three across and four down but but then they 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 combine through other chips so when you hit a six, you get the the up down tone and you get the horizontal tone, and then it gives you the six and so forth. So we, we you know, we, oh man. This, nowadays,
3: you've got a pie. You can you can just do a little do, do a little audio FFT and just yeah. Pull
0: well, you know, back you know, you need all the chips. You know back fifty Actually, years ago. Actually, there's now
1: a single chip that does
3: all that.
0: Fifty years ago, we didn't have any of this stuff, you know.
3: Oh, yeah. oh, there are tone decoder chips too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we didn't even have really real decoder chips. We had to build a decoder. You right. Know, with a, yes. Now you can buy a chip that does all all the digits, but you know, oh man. Okay, so man, hey, we've had fun tonight, guys. Um, yeah. We've talked long enough, and look, hey, we kept we kept uh, we kept Jim up here
2: well up? i did i did glenn caught me i think a couple of times <laughs> Not really? with my head down but uh he kicked me under the table and got me away oh, well. <laughs> anyway
0: we all we all made it tonight man we had a good yeah. time and and uh i had a good time tonight Ta- thinking about yeah. old stuff like that. and
1: yeah it's fun
0: yeah mm. well guys i guess we'll see you next week and uh let's see uh, uh, WDA IOL said he knew a guy named Zerkle. That's Z E R. He would have been, it'd have been Zerkle. No, yeah, that Zerkle, then there'd be the Zerkle with the I. And then, of course, we were Zerkle with the O. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh, man. Well,
3: this, this weekend, there's going to be a big ham fest here in the Rocky Mountain region in Fort Collins, Colorado. Oh, wow. And I'm going to be there. There's going to be all kinds of oh yeah. I'd love
0: to do that. Lot. I, I, I can't make it. Uh, that's too far. But you know what? I'm going to the Russellville Ham Fest.
4: That's when my, is that that's one?
0: My, uh, that's my place where I went to college. It's about 200 miles west of here. I'm going to the Russellville uh, Ham Fest on March the 3rd. And Just going to say, be,
1: that, I might have to go, go with you. Yeah,
0: that would be March the 3rd. It's on. It'd be there at Dardanelle right there on the Arkansas River, which would be cool. And then, hey, uh, I, I saw another ham fest here in Tennessee trenton tennessee is having a ham fest march 16th that's just about i don't know 20 minute drive north of uh jackson tennessee
3: oh that'd be fun. so
0: that's on the 16th i may try to go to that so you know i want to and then, get then,
3: some. then this spring there's going to be joe eisenberg's home ham fest in in omaha this is a, no i'm sorry it's lincoln Lincoln, yeah, you guys—you
0: so. guys are just too far out that way, and then yeah. what? You got the continental divide between us and you guys. It just—it's it, uh, tough for us to get there, man. Yeah,
3: it's—it's it's west of the continental divide is west. Oh, is of it us. west?
0: Is it west yeah. of Eden? Well, Well, still yeah. too far, man. It's
3: still—if you were driving, it's still—it's still a day and a half.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. First week of March, uh, Chris says we got the Greater Houston Ham Fest. then in Roseburg, Tennessee. That'll probably be a good one. But I won't be going to that either. That's a long ways down. That's as far as Dayton is to... Yeah, I haven't
1: there. looked at anything beyond Orlando at this point, other than Dayton.
0: Hoxie, Hoxie Hamfest. Let's see. <sighs> I, don't know, I don't know when that is. Yeah, I'm going
1: to try to catch a couple more of the Arkansas Hamfest this year.
0: <clears throat> yeah.
3: I'm going to try to work the hams who are out there trying to do the distance uh, competition at Quartzfests.
0: Okay, cool.
3: See if I can help them score some points. Yeah. Yeah. Quartzfest is always the weekend
1: of the Memphis Free Fest. So mm-hmm. can't do that.
3: Court
0: uh, Quartzfest kind of got in trouble last year. Didn't it? didn't it get muddy or something out there?
3: I don't know. I don't Wasn't know. it
0: Quartz, Quartz Fest? And it was so muddy out there, they couldn't even get their cars in or out for like a week. Wow. So it
3: was like Woodstock? Yeah. yeah.
0: It was, like I mean, it was
2: Quartz Fest, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, man.
2: Um, I got a question about a subject, but I don't want to do it publicly. Okay, um, let
0: me, let me uh, I'm gonna go ahead and kill the show here, guys. Good night, everybody okay. out there. Good night. We've had a good time. Same-